It is good to be back again. I uh, called Davey earlier in the week and I said you might ought to uh, just to put you on notice that I might not be here this morning, but I am here. Uh, Catherine is with Daddy. And uh, so uh, that's uh, why she's not here. And uh, we do appreciate your prayers. Um, We've been blessed in this journey. We don't hear any complaints from Daddy. And he's been peaceful through it. And uh, that's that's been a tremendous blessing. And uh, his testimony is, I want to live like Christ each day. And so that gives us a lot of peace and comfort as... uh, we go through it, but unless something changes drastically, the next time he gets up will be when the resurrection day comes. And so uh, we are glad to be here. How many of you have a mother? Most of us. I'm not sure exactly how this is going to all go. I, I don't usually come to church with a folder full of stuff. Um, but um, probably I'll preface it this way. Um, in participating in a funeral one time, uh, I had a family that walked out in the middle of the funeral because they felt like there was too much being made of the person that was deceased. And, yeah, that can happen. But it wasn't but a couple of days later that I was reading in my personal devotions and I came across this verse. Apostle Paul talking about some of the people that reached out to him, and he says this, They have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. I read it in a different version, and it comes through this way. Such men deserve recognition. The Amplified puts it this way. Deeply appreciate and thoroughly know and fully recognize such men. This morning, I want to do that just a little bit for my mom. And you could probably say some of the same things that I'm going to say this morning. She's been gone for 17 years, and when I thought back about how long she's been gone, I thought it can't be that long, but it is. Some of you know, how many of you knew my mom? I had a few of you older ones. For those of you that don't or didn't or won't, She was small but mighty. Um, She could just about stand under my arm, and I'm not so big, or not so tall. That's okay, you can laugh about that. She is from Kansas, and back in the 40s, that was a long ways from home to move from Kansas to Virginia because she didn't get home very often. Mama was 27 years old when she got married. 
and moved to Virginia and spent the rest of her days in Virginia. She has nine living children. I'm number eight of those nine. She lost one between my next older brother and I. She wasn't perfect. If you think your mom's perfect, I got news for you. She ain't. I remember talking, some of you probably remember him, uh, Robert Putnam from Nova Scotia. When they came here to visit one time, he was a Mormon man. And he asked me, he said, JP, he said, if I do everything right, are you telling me my children will turn out right? I said, Robert, let's get one thing clear to start with. None of us are going to do everything right. And your children will be who they are. A lot of cases, because of your input in their life, but in other cases, in spite of your input in their life. I've seen children that have uh, gone beyond where their parents were in a spiritual walk, and that's good. There wasn't any question whether Mama loved us. Oh, we sometimes didn't feel like she did when she could use the belt pretty good. And yet today I'm happy about that. She was an example in submission. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that Sisters, if you don't feel comfortable with your husband doing this, I'm not going to fault you for it, okay? We lived, I grew up at Cremora, which is between Waynesboro and, and Grottos. And in 71, I went with my dad to a, an auction, public auction of real estate in the town of Mount Clinton. And Papa bought a place to live. Mama hadn't seen it. And a sister came to her and said, you mean your husband bought a house and you never saw it? I never will forget Mama's response. If he can live there, I can too. Now, I'm not, husbands, don't you all run out and buy a place to live tomorrow and not tell your wife? I'm not suggesting that for a moment. My mama never had very much. But she was committed to her husband and she was committed to her family. And I've benefited greatly from that. Now this morning, I, yes, it's Mother's Day, and I recognize that. 
a lot of what I have to say is for this side of the house. But let's face it, our families aren't much without this side of the house as well. And it needs to be a working together. So I'm not sure. I have lots of illustrations and that kind of thing here. And I'm going to use a good many of them. But I want to start out with, with some thoughts about your home, the Christian home being an ark of safety. And this goes back to the ark that Noah built. And I need to be careful because I'm looking at my notes and I see Moses in here, but it's a different thing. I get Noah and Moses mixed up sometimes if I'm when I when I start talking about this, but Noah built an ark. He built it on dry land, I believe, and probably was ridiculed in what he did. That ark was not something made as a sailing vessel. It was made to float. And he chose to um, have Noah become uh, vitally involved in building that ark. Parents, if you want a safe place for your children, you all need to be involved in their lives. Maybe I'll put it in right here because a lot of you know that last week was Teachers Appreciation Week. So what's the responsibility of teachers? I heard somebody giving a list of some of the things that are teachers' responsibilities. And I came away with some different thoughts. They said it's the teacher's job to train students to acquire knowledge. It's the teacher's job to teach children to make good decisions. It's the teacher's job to teach children how to build character and self-esteem. It's the teacher's job to teach life skills. And it's the teacher's job to raise good citizens. And my first thought was, really? I want to tell you something, fathers and mothers, that's your job. And I think the reason we have things like they are in the school setting today is because, i got to be careful here, I'm not going to say failure here as far as you personally, but failure in the home to do their job. We didn't go to school to learn those things. Mama, uh, largely taught us those things. We didn't have to go to our school teacher to find out how to live life, how to build character. I would hope that your school teachers, the teachers of your children are, are, are um, not undermining what you're teaching them at home in those areas, 
But that's primarily your all's responsibility. And I thought about that as I read something that someone sent to me. I think this came to me back in about 2007. I'm just a mother. And this comes back to the lady's side of the house. Two mothers talking. A few months ago when I was picking up the children at school, another mother I knew well rushed up to me and she was fuming with indignation. Do you know what you and I are, she demanded. Before I could answer, and I didn't really have a handy one, she blurted out the reason for her question. It seemed that she had just returned from renewing her driver's license at the county clerk's office, asked by the woman recorder to state her occupation, Emily, oops, I wasn't going to use the word name here, I was going to, uh, and no, it's nobody from this congregation, okay? Uh, had hesitated, uncertain how to classify herself. What I mean is, explained the recorder, do you have a job or are you just a blank? Of course I have a job, snapped the mother. I'm a mother. We don't list mother as an occupation. Housewife covers it, said the recorder emphatically. I forgot all about her story until one day I found myself in the same situation, this time at our town hall. The clerk was obviously a career woman, poised, efficient, possession of a high-sounding title, like official interrogator or town registrar. And what is your occupation, she probed? What made me say it, I do not know. The words simply popped out. I'm a research associate in the field of child development and human relations. The clerk paused, ballpoint pen frozen in midair, and looked up as though she had not heard right. I repeated the title slowly, emphasizing the most significant words. Then I stared with wonder as my pompous pronouncement was written in bold black ink on the official questionnaire. Might I ask, said the clerk with new interest, just what do you do in your field? Coolly, without any trace of fluster in my voice, I heard myself reply, I have a continuing program of research in the laboratory and in the field. I'm working on my master's and already have four credits. Of course, the job is one of the most demanding in the humanities, and I often work 14 hours a day. 24 is more like it. But the job is more challenging than most run-of-the-mill careers, and the rewards are in satisfaction rather than just money. There was an increasing note of respect in the clerk's voice as she completed the form, stood up, and personally ushered me to the door. As I drove into our driveway, buoyed by my glamorous new career, I was greeted by my lab assistants, ages 13, seven, and three. And upstairs, I could hear our new experimental model, six months old, in the child development program, testing out a new vocal pattern. <laughs> I felt triumphant. I had scored a beat on bureaucracy, and I had gone down on the official records as someone more distinguished 
and indispensable to mankind than just mother. What a glorious career. I know it came through amusing because, uh, and that wasn't my intent. That's the way it was written. That's what she told the registrar. But it's right. You all have a tremendous responsibility in raising those children, pointing those children in the right direction. They won't always go the direction you point them because they still have to make a choice. But sometimes they will exceed the direction you point them to. You all have a glorious, I hesitate to call it career, but a glorious life. And I know most people don't appreciate mothers like they should. Here's a poem, The Mother I Ought to Be. Yes, mother, I know the going is tough, said the Lord to a mother one day. I know that the spirit of the age says to send the children away, away to the show to be entertained and never to use the rod. Tis the devil's scheme to get children's hearts and their thoughts away from God. But mother, and this he said low-toned, if you only hold to my hand and hold to your children, hold them tight, we'll get them to the better land. But you can't turn children loose when small and expect at some future day that they will want of themselves to be good and to come to the Lord and pray. You must hold them tight while they're small, dear girl, and teach them by day and night the things that will bear their souls above to God's holy and heavenly light. The things that shall lift them out of the mire and the filth of the funnies and such, and that sin is something vastly more than merely getting in Dutch. No matter what other parents may do, nor what other parents may say, you've got to hold to your children's hearts if you save them in this day. That mother no longer pitied herself, but said, O oh Lord, help me to be, a, be to each precious, innocent child the mother I ought to be. God told Noah how to build the ark. God could have sought another way to preserve life, to, uh, for life to continue on the earth, but God gave Noah specific instructions, and Noah followed those instructions, and it brought him through to the other side. What are we allowing inside our ark? What kind of reading material? What kind of pictures? What kind of games? What kind of associates? I remember my mother, and this might be back, uh, precede some of your all's remembrance or knowledge. 
Now, I don't remember which relative she was talking about, but she said one of her, her cousins that was out in the world gave a reason, and it was a choice he made, yes, gave a reason for where he was in his older years. He said there was a Sears and Roebuck catalog in the bathroom instead of a Bible. Now, most of you don't know what a Sears and Roebuck catalog is. The catalog of a lot of merchandise. And that man fed his eyes on things that were inappropriate. And it cost him his spiritual life. So what are we allowing in our ark? In our ark? Wife, mother, do you make the home a place your husband wants to come home to? Husbands, you thought I was just going to talk over here this morning, didn't you? Are you there when you're at home? Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you there when you're at home? Or are you off in some other land, even though you're physically there? Are your priorities safe to follow? Deuteronomy 11 says this, Therefore shall ye lay up these, word, these my words in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, that they may be frontlets between your eyes. The parents, yes, mothers, fathers, you have a responsibility in your ark to have things that are safe there for your children to follow. I want to read a number of verses from Psalm 78, and you all probably are familiar with where this goes. This is generational teaching. The first eight verses of Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. I'll stop there just a little bit. If you want to pass something on to your children, you've got to take it in first. It's a little hard to sell something that you don't know anything about. Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. Now, I'm not going to get into a bait about how many generations there are here, but this gets passed on from one to the next to the next to the next. Are you passing on something that is safe for your children to pass on to their children? Verse 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. 
and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Parents, and yes, here again, this largely comes down to mothers, but I think sometimes some of the things that comes down to mothers is out of default because this side isn't doing what they ought to do. So the first number of commandments talk about our relationship to God. And then we go down to some commandments that talk about our relationships on this level. Somebody want to tell me where that relation, where those commandments start? Does it start as it relates to the government? No. He doesn't start by telling us how kings ought to reign or how soldiers ought to fight or how merchants ought to conduct their businesses, but how boys and girls ought to behave at home. We can see that if their home life is all right, people are almost sure to fulfill the law of God, law in regard to both God and man. Parents, you have a tremendous responsibility with your young children. To teach them and to point their hearts toward God. I debated whether to read this, but I'm going to read this one as well. And this one was in 2017, an article by John Roseman. And I don't agree with everything that John Roseman writes, but I appreciate a lot of it. He's a psychologist that has turned around and gone back to where it ought to be in raising children, basically. Children are rebellious by nature. Um, I want to be careful. I have a daughter and some grandchildren here, and I say this, this is not about them, okay? Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know it, Amber is my daughter. I didn't have to teach one of my grandchildren, or let me back up. My children didn't have to teach my grandchildren to bite one another. Do you have to teach your children to fight? Do you have to teach them to bite one another or pinch? And here again, this wasn't Amber. But my wife tells a little story about one of our children that pinched one of the others. And she pinched the one that did the pinching. And she said it surprised that child so much she didn't know what to do. Because she found out what it felt like. Now, I'm not suggesting you go around pinching your children, okay? But you don't have to teach your children to be rebellious. The question that came to John Roseman was this. I've read enough of your writings to know that you believe children should be obedient that they should do what they are told. I want my children to think for themselves and to question authority, not to blindly obey simply because someone is bigger than they are. 
Maybe I ought to read that statement, that, that sentence again. But I think sometimes we're a little too close to that mentality. I'm not saying here. I'm talking about in general, in Christian settings. I want my children to think for themselves and to question authority, not to blindly obey simply because someone is bigger than they are. I don't want them thinking that might makes right. What's with wanting children to be robots? And this is his answer. And he paraphrased something that somebody that he was quoting. He says, your question is continuing evidence that the utopianism of the 1960s stuck deep into the heart of America and especially American parenting and is still lodged there. I'm as, re as familiar with research into child development, child behavior, and parenting as anyone can be. Some, maybe even most, isn't worth the paper on which it's printed, but the best evidence from the best research is that the happiest children are also the most obedient. Now, what he's saying is a lot of that stuff that you can get out there, yes, you can get it on the Internet, isn't worth reading, okay, when it comes to child training. Because they've got a skewed view of what a child should be like. Continuing to read, no matter where one finds an arbitrarily rebellious individual, one finds a malcontent. Children are by nature rebellious. Mind you, they have no rational reason to be rebellious. Therefore, their rebelliousness is arbitrary. Now, he inserted something in here. I'm going to go back and read that sentence again and insert what he said. They have no rational reason to be rebellious. Someone else, generally the very person or people toward whom they are the most rebellious, is supporting them. In other words, children don't have a reason to be rebellious to you as parents because you are the ones that are supporting them, okay? You are working for their benefit. That rebellious nature compromises their mental, emotional, and social health. <coughs> Excuse me. It is in their best interest that they become obedient, whereas parents of obedient children enjoy advantages and conveniences not enjoyed by parents of disobedient children the benefits of obedience accrue primarily to the child. You catch that? Parents, you are benefited from obedient children. But for you to have obedient children benefits the child more than it benefits you. Likewise, the price of disobedience is ultimately borne by the child. You catch that? Obedience benefits the child the most. Allowed disobedience hurts the child the most. Yes, it hurts parents, but it hurts the child the most in the long run.
Continuing to read, likewise, let me see. There is no evidence to the effect that obedient children do not or will not be able to think for themselves, that they are that they are or will become robots vulnerable to having their minds controlled by every evil ideologue that comes along. Excuse me, but the notion is nothing short of silly. In the first place, being a parent involves the desire to pass your values to your children. It is a trait common to responsible parents across the diversity spectrum that they want their children to be like, to think like they do. So is anybody here that don't want your children to think like you do, or at least pretty close? Let me see where I was. If you hold to a certain ideological bias, you don't want your children to hold to another one entirely. Do you? No, you don't. Excuse my bluntness, but when all is said and done, this business of I want my children to think for themselves is nothing but a means of proclaiming one's moral superiority, one's tolerance, and, and acceptance of every and all points of view. Besides, it doesn't matter what you teach your children. When they grow up, they will examine the options available to them, and they will ultimately think for themselves. Even if they end up subscribing to your values, they have arrived at that conclusion through the process of free will. Obedience on the part of a child is legitimate. I'm sorry. Obedience on the part of a child to legitimate adult authority figures in an act of trust. I didn't read that right still. Obedience on the part of a child to legitimate adult authority figures is an act of trust. That is, the child trusts that said adult is actually acting on his or her best interest. And they're talking about the child's best interest, even when the child does not like what the adult has done or decided. The child trusts, therefore the child obeys. And the opposite is equally true, by the way. I didn't appreciate everything my mother did because I didn't understand some of the things I understand now. I thought my dad and mom were dictators. I count my blessings today. Yes, I disappointed them. Some of our other some of my other family members disappointed them. I thank God today that all of my siblings, and they're all still living, are with their first spouse. It took a lot of work for a couple of them. And there are numerous divorced and remarried grandchildren. But I really think to this day that those marriages that have last, lasted have been at least largely a result of teaching from our parents. And yes, you might think, well, you've got an old family, and that's getting, getting sort of right. 
My oldest brother is 78 years old. And my youngest sister is, uh, uh, she'll be 65 here in about a week. And we're still all here. But we have no promise of tomorrow. But a lot of where we are today is a result of a mother that cared, that prayed, that disciplined. And my mother was the primary discipline. My dad, disciplinarian. My dad, yes, he did his part, but he was gone a lot. I want to close with a few things, and this comes down to um, both sides of the house. Um, when a small girl was asked, where is, where is your home? She replied, where mother is. The church can preach, the school can teach, but the home must convert sermons and lessons into the way of life. Home should be a retreat to which a son or daughter can return in triumph or defeat, in victory or disgrace, and know that they will be loved. Be reasonable. Don't expect your youngsters to listen to your advice and ignore your example. God bless you, mothers. We're um, benefited by you godly mothers. Yes, when I say we are, we benefit from the influence as well as your children. Y'all got a tremendous task. Um thought about a couple of illustrations that I wanted to give yet. Um, one of them is this: Be careful what you pray what you say. Some of you maybe have heard this one. I think I probably used it here years ago before a lot of you were here. A preacher was visiting another congregation. After church, he had a dinner invitation. And the parents went home to prepare, leaving their young son to show the preacher the way. On the way, the minister asked the lad about his week and what he did. He then asked the lad what they were having for dinner. The lad replied that they were having buzzard for dinner. The minister questioned whether they were really having buzzard, saying that he didn't think the boy's mother would serve buzzard. The lad replied that they were having buzzard because mother said they were having the old buzzard for dinner. Can you imagine what went through the lad's mind when he found out that the buzzard referred to the preacher? Or what we probably heard, or what he probably heard when they arrived, we have been looking forward to having you for dinner. Oh, it is nice to have you here. 
Don't be surprised if a child that hears this kind of talk from his parents has trouble respecting the laws of the land, the teachers in school, the church, and yes, even his parents. What we say at home, with our friends, or in public, must be consistent. And one last one, and this is ending on a good note. The man was left with three small children when his wife died. On the Sunday following her death, the oldest girl, 10 years old, said, Papa, shall I take the children into the bedroom and pray with them as mother used to? The father agreed, and she led them off to the bedroom to pray. When they came out, he noticed that they had been weeping and asked, What about? Well, father said the little girl, I prayed just as mother taught me. And then, naming her little brother, he prayed the prayer that mother taught him. But little Sushi, she was too young. Mother had never taught her a prayer, so she made a prayer of her own. And I couldn't help but weep to hear her prayer. Why, said father, what did she say? She put up her little hands and closed her eyes and said, Oh, God, you have come and taken away my dear mama. And I have no mama to pray with for me now. Won't you please make me good just as my dear mama was for Jesus' sake? Amen. What a glorious opportunity. I'll put it this way. What a glorious opportunity you have in directing your children in the ways of God. God bless you as you faithfully serve him. Have a song, please.